Welcome to today's show. I'm your host, Michael Aceta, the host of the Acknowledge Dogs podcast, author of the Dog Training Cheat Codes, and founder of Matador Canine Brilliance, LLC. Before we jump into the six steps to teach your dog literally anything, and I literally mean anything, if you break down these six steps, you can teach your dog anything. I want to let you know that I still have some spots available for the six-week coaching. If you're interested in coaching with me, working with me, to help solve your dog's reactivity, problem behaviors, or anything else going on, click the link in the description, training.matadorcanine.com slash six-week coaching. I'm also putting down there a free PDF download for the three peaceful walks, the three peaceful steps, I'm sorry, to a peaceful walk, okay? These are three simple steps that you follow, and you can actually have a nice peaceful walk with your dog, especially now that the weather is getting nice. Now, what are these six steps? If you've heard on my podcast before, these are very simple steps. They're typically called the fluencies of a behavior, but I take it one step further. So the six fluencies of a behavior, precision, latency, speed, duration, distance, and distraction. But I want to take it one step further than that because I think there's a little bit more to it. So the first step is precision. You have to get the precision down before you can start teaching anything else. So let's say we're going to be teaching our dog a new trick. Let's make sure that the trick is actually how we want it to go. Imagine you were teaching your dog to spin around in a circle. They have to actually spin in a full circle, 180 degrees, 360 degrees, whatever your goal is, you could have them do 720. But they have to do it correctly before you can start telling them to do it or before we can start working on any other variables. So precision is first. If you were to equate this to learning a new skill like archery, classic example, precision and accuracy are very different, right? Precision is getting the same thing right over and over. Accuracy is hitting a very particular target. So you could say precision and accuracy are very close. But precision in this case is getting it right over and over and over, the exact same way over and over. I have no problem with it slightly being off, but I want it to be as close as possible to my final result. If I was going to learn archery, I would focus on hitting the target first. I wouldn't focus on hitting the bullseye, just the target. I can start to narrow that down to just the red or just the blue and then slowly get closer and closer to just the yellow, and then eventually just to the bullseye. That's how you can work on accuracy. But the precision of just constantly hitting the target, even if it's in the same spot, that's totally fine. It could be off to the left, it could be off to the right. I want to make sure I'm hitting the target consistently every single time. Now, after you've gotten the precision down, your dog can do it perfectly. They're like perfect. Now you can start adding in latency. What is latency? Latency is how long it takes our dog to respond to a particular cue in order to do the behavior. So if I were to say the word spin and my dog does nothing, they have a very poor latency, if no latency at all. They can't recognize what they need to do because we haven't taught them to do it yet. Hey guys, I just want to take a moment to thank today's sponsor. Sponsor for today's episode is Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. First of all, it's free, and there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will even distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership, and it's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. That's where this podcast was made, and maybe that'll be where your podcast will be made. Download the free Anchor app or go to Anchor FM to get started. So you have to teach them what that cue is going to be. Once you teach them what the cue is, 
right? For a dog, let's say sit. If I say sit, my dog's going to sit. The cue in that case is the word sit. If I don't say sit, my dog shouldn't sit. They could sit on their own time, but when we're in training scenarios, they wouldn't sit unless I told them to sit. The latency tells them when to sit, whether to sit or down, whether to spin or sit or bark or speak or heal or whatever it is. Latency tells them what to do. So they have the behavior down. We're now telling them when it's okay to do that behavior, right? The behavior is kind of always on deck. If we had used a baseball term, it's always on deck. It's ready in the wings. Now we're finally saying, okay, you can go up to the, the plate. You can go up and you can actually bat. That's what latency teaches. So once you've done that and you've added the cue in, now you can move on to step three. Step three is speed and motivation. I split it up because sometimes you're working on speed and sometimes you just need to work on the motivation, but they go together because speed and motivation go together. If I want my dog to spin faster, I'm going to work on having them spin faster. This might mean using a higher valued reward to get them more excited so that they do spin faster or only rewarding repetitions that happened faster. This is very difficult if you're doing something small like a sit or a down, but it can be done. You just have to, you have to know a lot about your dog and the timing and, and what's capable of your dog. There are clearly some physical limitations when it comes to both latency and speed and motivation. There, there's physical limitations. My dog cannot run 100 meters in zero seconds. Right? It's just not going to happen. So whatever the physical limitations are, you can get pretty close to those limitations as long as you're consistently working on it. Okay, If you're not consistently working on it, yes, they're going to slack off. They're not going to have that motivation in the future. They're not going to have that speed. And if it's something athletic, they're not going to have that as well. So how do we work on speed? Well, as I mentioned, right, we're rewarding the things that we really like. And we're starting to narrow it down, right? Picture that target. So it was at red. We're narrowing it down to blue. We're narrowing it down to yellow. I think I have my colors backwards. I think it's blue on the outside. <laughs> and then it goes to red and then yellow. So we're slowly getting closer and closer and closer. And we're narrowing it down. So we're now saying, okay, speed, speed is where we're at. And we're only going to reward repetitions that fall within that amount of time. Let's say it's a circle, right? We want them to spin in a circle. And we want them to do it within two seconds from the start of the behavior to the end of the behavior. There's a clear distinction. Latency is from the start of the cue to the start of the behavior, that timing. And then speed and motivation is the start of the behavior to the end of the behavior, whatever that may be. For a sit, right, their butt's up. You say sit from the start of the behavior to when their butt actually touches the ground. That is the speed of the sit. So you can increase that with motivation by using a high-valued reward, whether it's a higher-value treat or a toy to actually get them moving and excited more. So you can do that. Or you can keep asking for the behavior and only reward those that fall within your tighter criteria. And you just tighten that criteria over time. Now, moving from speed and motivation, your dog knows exactly what they should do because of precision. They know when they should do it and what the cue is for it in latency. And they know how fast they need to be doing it. And they're starting to build up a lot of motivation for doing that particular behavior. Now we can work on duration and distance. Duration is how long they have to perform the behavior, and distance is how far away they have to perform the behavior or how close, depending on what you're working on. So duration-wise, duration is if I say sit, how long does my dog have to sit for before I can give them a reward? If I was going to do a bark and hold or my dog is barking consistently, bark, 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 do I just reward for one bark or do I want them to do 10 barks? That's a duration, right? It's repetition, but it's also duration, how long they're going to be barking for. How long are they going to be in a downstay? 
how long are they going to be holding an upright position or a handstand, whatever complex behavior you're working on, that's where I'm going to build on duration. Then we move into distance. If I were to put my dog in a downstay and walk 100 feet, I have to work on that 100 feet. I can't just go walk 100 feet away and expect them to do it. You have to work on that distance. You have to work on you know, the recall at a distance. If my dog can recall at 10 feet, that doesn't mean they can recall at 100 feet. That doesn't mean they can recall at two football fields. I have to practice those distances and make sure they're solid before I move on. Once you have that down, distance, the duration, you've now moved into distractions. This is where most people either give up because we're already five in, right? We're five steps in. They'll either give up at this point or this is the only point they focus on. If you did not do precision, latency, speed, motivation, duration, and uh, distance, distraction is going to be painfully difficult for you and your dog. And it's painfully difficult because the level of distraction determines exactly how successful they are. If the level of distraction is too high, then they're not going to be able to focus for a very long time, which means if you had a longer duration that your dog could do, let's say we're doing eye contact, if your dog can look at you for 15 minutes, and I know that sounds like a long time, but if that's 15 minutes and then you get a really distracting environment, your dog might only pay attention for 30 seconds. But they're much better at paying attention because you did have the 15 minutes before you added in the distraction. Whenever we add in a new variable, old variables will decrease for a little bit until we boost them back up. So when you add in these distractions, expect your dog to really suffer for a little bit with the other variables. Not that they're suffering internally, but the performance right? The, the skill set that they had previously is just not going to be up to par. So until you get the distraction work going, right? I want my dog to recall around other dogs. That's a high distraction. And to do that, I better be sure that I, my dog knows what a recall is, right? That latency has a lot of motivation to do the recall in the first place and can do it at a fair amount of distance under a certain amount of time. Right? I have to make all make sure all of those things are in check before I start trying to do it around dogs, before I start doing it around kids, around people, at the park, in New York City, all of those things. The dog has to go through those other steps before we get to the fifth step, which is distractions. Now, once you've done all of that, all of that, and that takes a while, once you've done all of that, you still have reward schedules. And this is the sixth and final step. This is where you should spend a lot of time because really the uh, sixth step is broken up into three parts. The first part is a continuous reward. Second part is an intermittent reward. The third part is a variable reward. And in some cases, you can even put in an indirect reward, which I'll get to. But the reward schedules are huge. Most people stick with the first reward schedule, which is continuous. So they're only going to reward their dog every single time they do something. That's it. They just reward them every time they do it. What ends up happening when you don't have treats or you don't reward your dog? They think they did something wrong, right? They go, oh, well, I didn't get rewarded, so maybe that wasn't right. Maybe I shouldn't have done that. Or they learn a difference between training time and real life, which is insanely frustrating to try to work through. Well, how do I get my dog to, to pay attention when I don't have treats? Using a reward schedule. So continuous is what most people stick with, and then they just jump to not feeding their dog at all. That's not how it works. And I've seen some people, they'll do competitions, and they heavily reward their dog the day right before the competition, and then they don't reward the dog at all the next day. And the dog thinks, well, what the hell? You just rewarded me so much yesterday. Today must be different. And I don't understand why people who do competitions don't, or many of them, don't work up to a variable reward schedule. 
Because if they did that, then they weren't worried about their dog not performing in the ring. They would know 100% under these conditions, under the situations I've worked in, I know my dog can do this. But if you only continuously reward your dog, you reward every single repetition. Once you stop rewarding them, they will give up. And go, okay, you're not rewarding me now. I don't know why you're asking me to do anything. And this is usually people's uh, argument when they say, oh, well, my dog's only doing it for treats. Yeah, because you're stuck at a continuous reward schedule. You got two more reward schedules to go through. You're stuck here. Once we move on, you'll be good. But because you're stuck in that spot, you're stuck in the thinking that this is how it's always going to be. So then you move into an intermittent reward schedule. That's a very uh, ratio. Sorry, that's a ratio. So it'll be a two to one ratio, a three to one ratio, five to one ratio, a 10 to one ratio, whatever it is. But your dog is going to perform the behavior multiple times in order to get one reward. You're slowly building this very, very slowly. So if a continuous was a one to one ratio, intermittent is automatically going to start at a two to one ratio. So let's say I was teaching my dog to spin and I wanted to get it on an intermittent schedule. I would have them spin, wouldn't reward them. I'd say, good job. And then I'd have them spin again and then give them a treat. That way they learn to do two repetitions in order to get one reward. Then the next time I'm going to do three repetitions and reward and four repetitions. And each session I might go up a little bit. But if at some point they start to lose motivation, I don't want to continue going up the ladder. That means they're learning not to perform the behavior and actually to stop doing it when they're not getting rewarded. I don't want to do that. I want to build up their confidence and their motivation. So eventually you're going to get to 10 to one. That means they can do 10 spins in a row and then one treat. When you hit that mark, it's time to move on to a variable schedule. Variable schedule is a gambling kind of schedule. Your dog will not know when or how many treats they're going to get, how many repetitions they have to do, whether they get a jackpot or a regular treat, whether they get a toy. And you really have some, some wide space here to work with. The variable schedule is what everyone should aim for. If you can get that with all the behaviors you have, your dog will no longer be reliant on treats. They will be reliant on you telling them what to do. Or if you're teaching them manners without you having to say anything, they'll be reliant on the other cues in the environment that tell them what to do. But if you, if you can get there, if you can go through all this work, precision, latency, speed, motivation, distance, distractions, duration, all of that stuff just to get to the reward schedules and then the variable schedule, your dog will be 100%, 100% all of the time, most of the time, they will listen to exactly what you say when you say it, as long as you've done a good job training them. Now, there was one more reward schedule I mentioned previously. It's an indirect reward. This is a special add-on. This is a bonus step, if you will. The indirect reward is a practice of not having rewards at all. You don't have anything. Okay, You have no treats. You have no toys. But you control the access to what your dog does want. So if your dog wants to go say hi to somebody, you would have them perform some kind of behavior after teaching them precision, latency, speed, motivation, duration, distance, and distractions, right? And going through all those other reward schedules, you have them perform the behavior perfectly. And then you send them to go get the reward, whatever it is, breakfast when dinner, right? Having your dog wait for breakfast and dinner is an indirect reward. You are not physically holding it, but you control access to it. Saying hi to somebody, playing with another dog, going in the dog park. These are all indirect rewards. If your dog can do those exceptionally well, then you won't need to hold treats and you'll always have a way of telling your dog they did a good job by letting them free, letting them do the thing that they wanted to do. But they'll be so willing to work with you because they think that that's the end goal. Oh, I work with mom and dad, then I get to go play. And I know exactly what I need to do because mom and dad took the time to teach me all of these other steps.
these six other steps. So now that bonus step is when you have a dog that just seems to perfectly listen all the time, right? If you've ever seen those dogs that the person doesn't have them on leash, doesn't have a treat, doesn't have anything with them, and the dog is literally perfect, well-trained, well-behaved, never runs up to anybody unless told to. One of my favorite things while working with the Guide Dog Foundation, I was an intern back in the day, they would say, go say hi. And they were actually allowed to introduce themselves, not the guide dogs, the service dogs, I'm sorry. The service dogs were allowed to go say hi if the handler thought it was appropriate and that the dog could. And what the dog would do was go up, sit, and then pick its paw up for a handshake. That was it. But the dog knew exactly what it needed to do. And then it would get rewarded by getting to greet the person or go back and get treats from the handler. Absolutely amazing. Amazing work through all those steps and then finally, the indirect reward, going to say hi to somebody. And that's usually where people struggle. Oh, well, I take my dog for a walk and they're all over the place. They want to go see other dogs. They want to go see people or they don't and they're afraid. If we could teach them the indirect reward of going to say hi, one, we're going to build a positive association if they don't have one. And two, they're going to learn waiting and being patient and working with you is the key to get over there. So what were the six steps? Precision, latency, speed and motivation distance and duration, distractions, and then those reward schedules. And then for a bonus, you could use an indirect reward. Thank you guys for tuning in today. I appreciate you taking the time to learn and hang out with me. If you're looking for dog training, professional dog training anywhere in the world, head over to training.matadorcanine.com slash six-week coaching. The weather is getting nice. You deserve to be able to walk with your dog without stress and freaking out and all that chaos. So head over to training.matadorcanine.com slash six-week coaching. Also, if you have not gotten your copy of the Dog Training Cheat Codes, Professional Results, Fast and Reliable Dogs. Okay, this book is absolutely fantastic. If you haven't got it, head over to matadorcanine.com and order your copy today, whether it's an ebook or the physical copy. Thank you guys for listening, and I'll see you next time.